Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He published a book back in 2021, December 6, 2021. Title of it is It Did Not Start with JFK. And it's a two-volume set. The one we're the book volume we're going to talk about today is the decades of events that led to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. The author's name is Walter Herbst, H-E-R-B-S-T. And right now on Amazon in the U.S., the volume one has 18 five-star reviews. And I think it's really important, his approach of getting into this book, because it really informs everything that led up to what happened in November 22nd, 1963. And there's a lot of information, and there's a lot of very curious characters that are involved in the GFK assassination. So we can go into some of the culture and the individuals in the background in this book. It did not start with JFK. So Walter Herbst, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Well, William, thanks very much for having me. So for people who may not have heard of your name, I think I saw your book on Ed Opperman. Can you talk about your background? You do talk about it in the intro, but talk about kind of the influence of JFK and how you got interested in researching and what led you to put together this book? It did not start with JFK. Certainly. Well, I was six years old when JFK got assassinated, right? And so too young to really have any effect on me. But, you know, if anyone who was alive at the time um, doesn't forget it. And as time went by, there would be articles in the paper, it issued out about Jack Ruby and gun running or what have you, and I would see it. And I never really got into it until my mid-20s. And I was given a book by a friend, Best Evidence, about the autopsy of JFK. And I read that, and it was like eye-opening for me, right? I mean, it was um, uh, it was clear that something was the, the autopsy was not um, 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 a definitive, clear uh, a picture of what happened to JFK. I mean, there, there was there, there was there was some um, terrible things that happened there. And so, anyway, so that got me started, and I spent the next whatever 30, 40 years. Um, investigating, reading everything I could, the assassination of JFK. And it took me to a point where I kind of reached about uh, a few years ago, not a dead end, but I looked, there were some facts that I saw that just didn't make sense. You know, 1963, you have JFK. Um, he's already agreed not to invade Cuba because of the agreement of the missile crisis. But he's telling his people, look, just in case the Russians go into West Berlin, be prepared. If they do that, we're going into Cuba. Then he's also normalizing relations or trying to with with, with the Soviet Union and with with Castro at the same time. Meanwhile, Robert Kennedy is got his own um, um, uh, uh, effort to try and take back Cuba. But he's bringing in left wing um, uh, 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 Cubans, uh, anti-Castro Cuban exiles, ones who um, at one time supported Castro, and he's kind of blocking out the CIA out of the whole thing. Now, that, while this is going on, there's this fellow, Thomas Eli Davis, who's this American mercenary, and he is um, down in Haiti, and he's organizing a, a mercenary army trying to invade Haiti um, um, for whatever reason. It could be a, a jumping-off point to get Castro, what have you. Okay, so... Also in Haiti at the same time is George de Morenschild, who is uh, anyone who has studied the assassination knows he befriended Oswald after he returned from the Soviet Union to the United States. He, no one can understand the relationship. There's something about that that's sinister. I mean, he has CIA intelligence connections. 
and he's down in Haiti as well. And uh, is there a connection between all of that? You know, possibly. Now, this Thomas Eli Davis, then, he, 16 days after the assassination, he gets arrested or, or apprehended in Morocco. He, with, with a letter uh, with the name Oswald and referencing the assassination of JFK. Now, it turns out to be that this, 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 this Oswald is a Victor Oswald in, in Spain. It's not Lee Harvey Oswald, but Victor Oswald had CIA connections. It was a, a gun running and what have you. And it's a whole myriad of, of connections that you, that you develop. And this is all going on. And I'm, I'm asking myself, is this connected? Are these separate? Is it possible that there were, there were, there were two independent things going on or m maybe multiple things? Meanwhile, Lee Harvey Oswald is back and I'm investigating him and I'm seeing when he goes to the Soviet Union, it, 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 there's some weird, weird things going on. I mean, he, his, his, his Department of Defense ID card when he comes back from there issued to him uh, at El Toro in, in California when he left the Marines. The picture looks different than his than his passport photo, even though it's, it, it occurred around the same time. Um, he has a phony uh, A.J. Hiddle at the alias that he allegedly used uh, card on his possession when he's arrested with the, with, with, with the same photo as the DOD card, but different than the, the he's five foot eleven when he goes to the Marines. He looks like he's five foot nine when he comes back. But um, uh, you know, there's no way it's the same. Per so anyway, there's stuff going on. So I started to look a little deeper, and then what got to me too was I found there were in like the in 20 months before and after the JFK assassination, there's like 15 attempts at overthrowing governments, assassinating foreign leaders, all leftist um, um, leaders, leftist governments by right-wing uh, military coups, most of them involving the CIA and, 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 the, uh, and the U.S. military. Um, Oswald gets arrested. He asked for this fellow named John Apt to represent him. John Apt was a, he did represent communists, so that was everyone thought he asked for that reason, except for one thing. John Apt, in the 40s, there was a, uh, a, a law passed, the Smith Act, uh, passed by Congress, which basically said that an individual can be tried uh, for trying to overthrow the U.S. government by himself, even if he's part of a group. And, uh, you know, applying that to Oswald, I mean, you can make the connection and say, whoa, I mean, you, you know, what, what, you know. It is remarkable that he knew the right lawyer right yes. after it happened. So ABT, his name was John Abt. That's correct. I mean, how does he know these things? I mean, and, 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 I mean, we can go off on a sidebar for a second, but he applies to, Albert Schweitzer College on his way to defect to the Soviet Union. No one in the United States really knew Albert Schweitzer College. And this is some guy who spent two, the last couple of years in the Marines in Japan, comes back to California. He knows about it, right? So how does he know all of this all the time? Then the one thing that got me going was the United States military in particular, CIA too, wanted to get rid of Castro. Military, a Cuban Missile Crisis, they were ready to go in guns blazing and just take out Fidel Castro, take over the island. And this is what they wanted, right? Well-documented CIA uh, hired the, the mafia figures to try and kill him, plus other assassination attempts. Kennedy gets assassinated by this alleged communist, Oswald, member of the Fair Play for Cuba committee, defected to the Soviet Union, said he was going to give military secrets to the Russians, and we do nothing. I mean, if there was an, an opportunity to just go in, take Castro out, 
And then by the time the smoke cleared and you found out what really happened, who Oswald was, I mean, Castro would be gone. That was it. Nothing happened. So I started to think, let, I, let me go back and see if I can find some connection between all these groups, these individuals, in the decades before the uh, Kennedy assassination. Maybe you can find, I mean, if, if I was going to investigate World War I, Civil War, whatever, I wouldn't start, say, Civil War with Fort Sumter. I'd go back in the decades before and just say, you know, what, how did this animosity get to where it was? So I did that. And that's basically what, what the book is about. And I went back all the way to the 1930s and kind of started with um, 1920s, really. And there was um, this concern after World War I, Europe was in disarray. And uh, what was going to happen with all of these, the, 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 these uh, immigrants who wanted to come from Europe to the United States? And many of them were for Slavic from Slavic countries, Southern Europe, uh, Jewish, people that the elites in this country did not want into this country. There was this right-wing elite group that, and it had, this is not a party affiliation. In those days, it was basically based on money. You could be Democrat, you could be Republican, but you felt like you wanted to control who was coming into this country, and you wanted it to be from Northern Europe. And so they passed the... Um, in 1924, an immigration law that, 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 that restricted people coming into this country from anywhere from basically Northern Europe. And on top of that, they went back to 1890 census when, 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 when the disparity between other, other uh, groups and Northern Europeans was greater, so they could really control it, right? And then it kind of, it, it all was spawned by this pseudoscience called eugenics that um, basically believe your bloodline determined who you were going to be. If your father was a thief, you were going to be a thief. If your father was a decent person, you were going to be a decent person. And the country was going around sterilizing Americans based on that. Throughout, I mean, it's unbelievable. They even talked about, uh, about um, you know, killing people if we had to get to that point. And it went to the Supreme Court and... Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes gave a, gave a ruling, basically, which said um, uh, three generations of criminals is enough. So if, if that's what you have in your background, we're going to sterilize you and prevent you from, uh, um, you know, uh, continuing, continuing the family line. Right. And a lot of people don't know this, but the Germans got a lot of their eugenics ideas from yeah. the states. And I actually went to a name that you mentioned in your book, Jordan. I went to Jordan Middle School in Palo Alto, where there was rife with a lot of eugenicists. Yes. Sherman. There was a big thing that happened in Northern California where there was a eugenicist hotspot. Another guy's, oh, I can't remember some of these characters' names, but they were around Shackley. I think it's Theodore Shackley. Right. They were all eugenicists and they all did a lot of writing and pre-Nazi. Uh, pre, pre uh, Nazi, so. Right. And then on the East Coast, you had the Carnegie Institute, you had um, the Rockefeller Foundation all donating. The Harriman family, right? Avril Harriman, well-known politician, but his father was a railroad tycoon, very wealthy. They were funding this eugenicist um, um, on Long Island in New York um, um, uh, group uh, uh, to try and just control the population in this country. Then, then, then what the really the next thing that got to me was it, it was in the early 1930s. I mean, uh, FDR is president. And there's this group that wants to remove him from power forcibly. And they go over and they study Mussolini, they study Hitler, 
Um, it's this right-wing group. It's an elitist group. It's backed by um, um, wealthy people in the country. Groups like the Remington arms dealers who made a fortune in World War I are backing it. And they basically want to raise a 500,000-man army from the American Legion and have them basically go to FDR and you have a choice. We're going to either remove you from power um, and let, or excuse me, keep you in power. And you're just going to be a figurehead and we'll call the shots. And, or we're going to uh, just forcibly remove, remove you from power. Well, they made the mistake of going to this fellow Smedley Butler, who's like a, a hero in, in American history. That's an unknown hero who said no to what they wanted to do, went to Congress, testified in front of Congress. They had hearings. Congress confirmed that all everything I just said was true. There was an attempt to take over the country. And but the people were too powerful to do anything about. Right. And there were so others. It couldn't who, be done. They could be exposed, but not tried. Right. I mean, and it really, you know, you kind of almost there are parallels to today, aren't there? That you can even look at this, right? You this Ukraine thing. You can you, you, we don't know the behind the scenes, whatever's going on. I mean, we're very upset, but we're really not doing that much. Um, you could you could look at uh, post uh, uh, Kennedy uh, from Johnson to Nixon to Ford. Um, if you if if you have the money and 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 and, and the power, uh, you're you're going to be immune, especially back in that in that era. And then you had the, there was a deep state government that was already running, trying to run the government, Council of Foreign Relations, and various groups like that. And um, so, and there, there's and there a lot other, happening. FDR was under attack the whole time. the The elites of that he was part of didn't like him. No, he was he was way too egalitarian in his sensibilities. He was kind of like a class betrayer in a lot of ways. However, I do think that his policies righted the country. I think he really just use practical things, but that's wasn't the sensibility. He was, and you, you say in your book, assassination attempt, overthrow, you know, they were constantly, and I think that it was, uh, Prescott Bush was also part of that fascist movement too. hundred uh, percent. hundred percent. And Prescott Bush Which is was telling also, you. Yes, definitely. And hold, I mean, even it goes up to the entire Bush family leading up to the assassination. But in, the, in, in that early 1930s, I mean, it was basically, uh, self-determination where the elites thought I'm not going to give you my, my for the new deal I'm not going to give you my money without my permission I should decide what I want to do that was their argument and they and they also thought that they looked at the US Constitution and they thought that was a violation of the Constitution they looked at Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Ind Independence right life liberty and a pursuit of property which uh, pursuit of happiness, but uh, Jefferson took that from John Locke, the English philosopher, who said life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. And they looked at that and they said, no, this is a violation of the Constitution. Um, uh, we are not going to stand for it. And they didn't. And But that led one thing to another, you know. And then, and then next thing you know, um, Nazis are in power in Europe and, and you have very powerful people in the United States. You have the Dulles brothers that, that, that would, would play a role in the United States history for the next like 30, 40 years. Uh, John Foster would become um, um, Eisenhower's secretary of state. Alan Dulles become director of the CIA in his golden years uh, under Eisenhower. And they worked for Sullivan and Cromwell, a, 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 a law firm that um, uh, supported uh, Germany, Nazi Germany, 
Um, you had people, as, as the war started, uh, calling these two guys traitors. And they were, they were not the only ones. I mean, there were a lot of rich, wealthy people that were making money off of Nazi Germany that did not want, that, that supported that. And they basically did not, they did not object to what the Germans were doing, even after, after it became known uh, what, what was happening with the Holocaust and things like that. They still supported Nazi Germany. And it was all goes back to that eugenics philosophy of of, of uh, Northern European bloodline, and and we we want to, we want to promote that, and we want the United States to promote that. I found it interesting. You had a little uh, exchange between Joe Kennedy and Joe Jr. Yes. They sounded just like Nazis. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that probably made people think Joe was one of us, right? He was kind of a. I think Joe Kennedy was a Hitler sympathizer if i remember correctly when he was ambassador to the uk Is that that's right, right. yeah correct he was ambassador to uk and you know there were some people who were hitler supporters because they thought let's get on the winning side and they expected that before the war started that the germans were power more powerful and, and couldn't be stopped and there are other people that just bought in to you know drank the kool-aid and they not you know and in and, and that that um literally supported Nazi Germany. And I think it was Joe Jr. that said something like, well, you know, in, in Germany, it's a shame what's happening to the Jews, but you know what? They, they kind of have all of the high paying jobs and this or that, and, 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 and there must be some truth to it. Uh, the, the German complaints about them, if, 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 you know, they wouldn't be doing this unless there was a reason. But so they, they kind of justified what they were doing. And, and it was not that, you know, there was the Liberty League in the United States and different groups supported this action as well. I mean, you had America First going back to, the, to that era. Um, but America First, to a large extent, was people who just thought, we just got over World War I, let's not fight another European war, let's stay out of it. But they were in, you know, involved with them, people who were just, they've supported the Nazis and would have expected or hoped the United States would be on board on the side of the Nazis. And, um, you know, fortunately, um, they didn't win out. There was a battle for the sympathy, right? Lindbergh, the Nordic League. There was like the Bund, right, in the U.S. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, Lindbergh was an interesting character. Uh, I mean, even to the point where he had this second family in Germany that no one ever knew about, and his family here, right? And um, everyone knows about uh, what happened with his son and kidnapping, murder, and uh, um, but yeah, he was pro-Nazi. Was over in in Germany with Hermann Göring, getting a, a, a medal from them. Coming back and basically saying to the, in the United States, um, um, we, their their air force is powerful, their military is powerful. We have to be on their side. And he he actually filled like Madison Square Garden in, in New York City, right? I mean, with 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 uh, just supporters trying to push that Nazi agenda, right? So, but it you was know, an the, open question. Yeah, there wasn't. A, it wasn't fully assured, probably until they declared war on us, right? In I think 41. so. You're right. I think so once December that happened, 41, yeah. That's right. Once the Japanese attacked uh, Pearl Harbor and Hitler in his infinite wisdom declared war on the United States, right? One of the smartest things, uh, <laughs> I say that jokingly, obviously. Right. You know, he had a really caricatured view of the U.S. If yeah. you read his speeches to other Germans, he had like a Hollywood idea of the U.S. Right. He had no, he had a he had a he had that same view of the Russians too. He thought the Russians were going to just 
collapse, which they didn't. They actually really did most of the fighting. But Hitler, look, go back and look at Hitler's view of the U.S. Just he had, he was much more provincial than people think. He had no clue about the U.S. How violent the country. You know, a lot of people underestimate our patriotism in this country. I mean, because we have free dialogue and and people have a right to disagree. But if something happens, and we saw it at 9-11, you saw it during World War II and at various times, people do come together and support this country. And uh, um, no doubt it'll happen in the future if we're ever forced to do that again. But the U.S. has been at war like most of its entire history. Like, that's the whole strange thing. Like, they think it's an open society, but it's also, there's been a, some con, I think we're only been through 20, 25 years of peace. Sorry. Well, that's Eisenhower, right? With the military industrial complex that he warned everybody about. He was right on, right on the button. I mean, and if you go into post-World War II, um, Truman was looking to cut the military budget from like uh, down to 13 billion, right? And the National, National Security Council, which came into being in 1947 with the CIA, they put out NSM uh, National Security Memorandum 68 or 86. I forget the exact. I think it was 86. Anyway, and it, it, what basically they were saying is, look, with, with the, the Russians, we can't trust them. They're building up their military. They're they're, they're ready to take over Western Western Europe. Um, we cannot walk away. Ignore that. We need to expand our military. We're the only ones with with with, with nuclear weapons. We should we have to expand that. And take advantage of the situation and and basically attack. And Truman wasn't buying it. And with Korea started, and right, the, the, the official story is that uh, the North Koreans started the Korean War. But in my investigation, it's um, I believe, and I think the facts showed out that we really instigated, with the help of the South Koreans, to get the North Koreans to attack just so that we would get involved in the war. There are a number of very important issues that were on the table at that time. One was um, uh, we had a policy of containment in effect surrounding China and, 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 and Russia, Soviet Union. And that was a fellow named George Kennan, who was a diplomat, American diplomat in, 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 in the Soviet Union, wrote a 5,000 word telegram after FDR requested that from him um, to, excuse me, Truman requested it. And, to, and he outlined the dangers of the Soviet Union. And so, but he also said that their, that their economy is destined to fail, which kind of, ha- which did happen in the 80s, I would say, right? So it took time, he, yeah. it took time, but, and he just said, if we're patient and we just, we don't have to attack them, we just have to contain them. All right, well, that was American policy, but then Truman looked at the cost of containing this vast area. And he, he came to the conclusion that we're going to let certain things go, like South Korea and Formosa, Taiwan today, um, because they're on the mainland. And he's, he just anticipated, say, the, the, the Chinese and the Soviets attacking here, there, you know, these little attacks that weren't much, but we would be trying to protect, you know, putting our fingers in the dike at 50 different places. Well, the U.S. military, the right wing, CIA did not appreciate letting Formosa go or letting South Korea go. Uh, MacArthur called Formosa a, 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 an aircraft carrier on land because of its proximity to China and the ability to, to launch attacks from there. So we were looking at losing Formosa, looking at potentially losing South Korea, uh, because if there are elections, it was most likely open elections, North and South Korea, that we would lose South Korea. 
Meanwhile, in Japan, where MacArthur was, right, MacArthur was basically emperor of Japan at this time after World War II. He, um, there, there were treaties in front of the, at the UN as to what to do with, 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 with Japan. Should the United States be allowed to stay there, maintain a military presence, or should we leave and, have, and take all the military out? These three things were on the table. It looked like the United States was going to come up short. Next thing you know, the Korean War happens. Um, that 13 billion of, of Truman's turns out to be uh, 50 something billion, uh, right? I mean, first it, it, he just kind of panicked. The end result was that, of course, Formosa, be Taiwan became a, a you could call it a territory of the United States. South Korea st still stayed under the uh, the, the um, uh, 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 supervision of the United States, and we stayed in in Japan. And so, I mean, this, this, th th these were three critical things and, and it led to the building of the military industrial complex. And this is what um, I think Eisenhower was alluding to that plus what happened after the Korean War. And we see it today. Military leaders, generals, admirals, high level officials would, when they retired from the military, would go to work for military contracts. And even military contractors would get jobs in administrations, even with Eisenhower. But so it, 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 was, it behooved uh, generals, admirals to keep this war machine going because there was a lucrative job for you waiting if you, if you, once you retired and you left. You, you, you became on the board of directors, vice president, whatever, of a major military uh, contractor. So the war machine never died, right? It hasn't, it keeps getting bigger. It doesn't end. I mean, I think we have, our military machine is like bigger than the next five countries combined on the list, something like that, right? Yeah, huge. And it started at that point, right? With, 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 in, 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 with, with the- Post World War II, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is where I think Eisenhower was looking at this military industrial complex and was warning the nation. But I think he also experienced things that I think are important to the JFK assassination because there were so many <clears throat> operations that he had to either okay or I think I can't remember which one it was, but he they expect uh, the CIA expected help from the military, and he said, "Okay, fine, let's just do it." Right. And I think that was telling to what happened with Kennedy in Cuba, right? Yeah, I think you're referring to 1954 in Guatemala. Okay, where, awesome. where, happens? Yeah, and so um, there, he was willing to to use mili the military, you use air power to make sure we didn't lose that. And but but you're right. There was a series of of, of the CIA became basically out out of control, right? They, a rogue a, a rogue agency, and they are subject to the review of Congress. And, 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 and that's who, who allocates the amount of funding that, uh, the CIA, that the CIA is allowed to spend. But they were doing things on their own. And actually, before Alan Dulles became director of the CIA under Eisenhower, say that, that three, four-year period, he and, and independently, but he and William Donovan, who was the head of the OSS, the, the precursor to the, to, to the CIA dur during World War II, started these private um, intelligence agencies. And throughout Europe, they um, got involved with military intelligence and ex-Nazis who were involved in, um, in Eastern Europe in particular. And they created these stay-behind armies 
of, of led by these ex-Nazis who, who, and these Eastern Europeans who supported the Nazis in various Eastern, Eastern countries. And they, not that they thought they could, they, they could stop the Red Army from marching into Europe, but they thought they could slow them down and at least give a chance for the United States, either through nuclear weapons or whatever, to then, to then take care of the situation. Now, they couldn't go back to Congress for funding. So in Southeast Asia at the time, basically in China, there was a fellow named Paul Helliwell, the American military officer, who went to leadership at the CIA and said, and went to Dulles and, 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 um, and Donovan and James, James Angleton, and said, what we're doing is we are taking, uh, we're, we're kind of taking opium and exchanging it for arms. We're giving these the 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 Chiang Kai Shek's uh, um, nationalist Chinese uh, army that's in Formosa. Uh, we're giving them weapons, and they're paying for it with drugs. And we can do the same thing in Europe, and they did. And then they they they. It's really an amazing story that we 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 employed the services of the mafia, who we had, the American mafia and the Italian mafia. I mean the. The relationship between the United States and the mafia started in World War II on the docks of New York, um, where Lucky Luciano was in jail, but there was a, there, he was like the, the head of the mafia at the time. Um, there was a ship called the Normandy, a French, a French ocean liner that was being used to transport Americans back and forth to war that was blown up in the docks of New York. Um, naval intelligence uh, went to, uh, American naval intelligence went, went, went to the mafia and said to, to Meyer Lansky, we want you guys to, to patrol the docks and stop this. He had to go to Luciano in, 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 in prison. Anyway, long story short, they did that. In addition to that, when the United when, when the Allies attacked Sicily and then mainland Italy, the mafia got involved there too and helped them. Um, they wound up becoming it's a thin line between what some of the CIA did and what the mafia did, differentiating, right? And it, and so they got involved with them. And so they, they, they created this program of getting the opium from Southeast Asia, sending it to Corsicans in, in, in France to process it into heroin, sending it to the states where the mafia would take it. And they distributed it into basically um, um, African-American neighborhoods because they figured at that time nobody would care, wouldn't pay attention, and took the money and then used that to finance their stay-behind armies in Europe. Right. The gladio and, armies, right? Weren't they? Gladio, exactly. It was gladio based on like a Ro the Roman gladio, like gladiators. Nice. And yeah. yeah, exactly. So th this was th this this was in place for a long time, and um, so you know the, the CIA was doing things that was beyond what their mandate was. I mean, it was like a week after JFK's assassination that I think it was in the Washington Post that Truman did an op-ed, and. Right. Basically said, you know, we have to do something about this. When I when I put the CIA into effect, it was um, to be an intelligence gathering organization, not to dictate policy, create policy. He said something's wrong, and we have to correct it. Well, it, was, it wasn't corrected, but still, he recognized what was happening. And coming a week after the JFK's assassination, it's telling that he you, he had to have connected the two together, right? So. And while this I think he on, said, sorry to interrupt, but no, I think no, Truman sure. said signing the NSA Act in 1947 was his biggest, biggest mistake. I think I you're think, right. I, I think, think you're if right. I remember correctly. 
yes. which created the CIA and kind of because he did, you know not everyone wanted an intelligence organization in peacetime, right? I mean, but I think it was the KGB formed. They had assassination squads. There were we know from the Korean War that there was um, uh, mind altering drug experimentations being done by by the by the Chinese. We know the Japanese were doing it in World War II with some of what we found out when, when after we, we defeated them. And someone said, we have to match them, at least. Yeah, there was a mind control gap. There was a mind control gap. Said. Right. So they, they, they caught up quick. So, yeah, did, yeah. And, and then there was the, you know, the, the fight in the 50s for third world ex-colonial countries that European countries in Northern Africa and in Middle East that um, were colonies were getting their independence between the United States and the Soviet Union, a battle for the hearts and minds of these people. And um, it's really, it, 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 it kind of created a rogue mentality. That's how it kind of led to the JFK assassination. And it all was done in the name of anti-communism. What do we have to do to defeat communism, control it? And, um, JFK didn't go with, go along with that. Uh, you know, they sabotaged Truman at that um, um, uh, Korean War. They sabotaged Eisenhower with that U-2 flight that was uh, shot down. Uh, Francis Gary Powers, that was, that, that was sabotaged. It was done because Eisenhower was on, he's like weeks away from going to Russia to meet with Khrushchev to sign a nuclear test ban treaty. Obviously, that never happened. Um, so, I mean, and there were military generals, four of them that resigned at the end of Eisenhower's presidency because they thought we should be going in basically a nuclear hardline attack. We were we had a superiority in, in nuclear weapons. We could obliterate them. Sure, the United States would lose a couple of cities, but they wanted to do it. When they didn't do it, um, they resigned. They wrote books. Eisenhower was looking into calling them back into service just to shut them up. And he, he said it was treasonous. He looked at them treasonous. And one of the famous, uh, I'll paraphrase what he said, but considering what happened to Kennedy, who came after Eisenhower, he said, I know how military minds think. I'm a military man. He said, God help the guy that comes after me who isn't prepared to deal with these people. Wow. And he, he was so right. Wow. What were their names? Was it Lemnitzer? It was like a Lemay. No, it wasn't Lemnitzer. Okay. It was um, it was Maxwell Taylor was one guy. Um, gosh, I can't think of their names right now. There was four There's of a, them. But they may not have been involved. But Kennedy had his own group of crazies. Yeah. I don't know what what Eisenhower, but Lemay was just out of his mind. Like these guys were. Lemay. Yeah. Well, Lemay is like the guy from uh, Doctor Strangelove. That's what it was based on, right? I mean, he was he he was like, yeah. Let's. Um, nuke him and uh he, in fact he said at one time nuclear war he said we don't have, look someone will eventually stop so we won't blow up the entire world that was his philosophy um it's Lemnitzer, insane. It, it, and i think lemay lemay was the one who firebombed japan killed millions of people he was. like yeah he, he was. was just a, he was just a genocidal maniac yeah, and then just to show you where you know where he fit into the big picture and I think it was when George Wallace ran for president in 68 or whatever it was, he was his running mate. And, and he was, believe it or not, embarrassed George Wallace. And, um, uh, you know, it's just too far out there for even a George Wallace to have. I mean, he, he, so he was just, 
Kennedy hated him, hated him. And Lemnitzer was another guy, which, which who was uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff until after the Cuban Missile Crisis, where these people were just showed their true colors. And Kennedy then had him transferred to head NATO just to get him out of the United States. And, and he just, you know, he looked at these people as crazy and, and, and he, he understood who these people were, but he also took them on, head on. And everything that they stood for, he did not, and he fought them. And if you go back through from the 1930s up to say 1960 and see what was happening, and then you look at what John Kennedy did, um, you know, his American University speech in June 1963, where he was basically calling for coexistence with the Soviets. And he was saying, look, we cherish our children's future as do they. Um, um, we both uh, live on the same planet. We breathe the same air. Um, he started selling them wheat. He signed the nuclear test ban treaty that Eisenhower couldn't do. But the way he did it was he sent Avril Harriman over there and Kennedy got on the phone as if he were in the room, unprecedented for an American president to do that, and over, you know, supervise the negotiations. Wow. Then it had to pass Congress. He bypassed Congress. He went to the American people, and basically there was a public relations blitz because the people wanted a nuclear test ban treaty, and Congress had no choice but to approve it. Right. right. He was normalized, trying to normalize relations with Fidel Castro, um, and he was Vietnam, of course, trying to pull out, and it was one thing after the other. And so, I mean, they could not say sabotage him in any way. They tried to, so I think but they had he, one choice. He had real life war experience too. I know that some of the people he went to World War II with didn't make it back, like his brother did. Right. So, right, he had a right. different context than some of these people who sat behind desks. He um, did, and he and Robert Kennedy, his brother, took a trip when he was either a congressman or a senator, when JFK was, to Southeast Asia. And he saw firsthand what the French were doing when they were still fighting the, uh, the, the, the Vietnamese. And he saw that. He said, this is an unwinnable war. You can't, not, you can't do it in a conventional way. These are guerrilla fighters. And that's why he wanted to pull out of that war. And he basically just told his people, he said, I can't do it now. Because people won't, the American people won't understand that I will not get reelected. So he just, he said, make damn sure I get reelected. We'll pull out of Vietnam. And of course, he never had the chance to do that. It just escalated. It got worse. Oh, gosh. Yeah. 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 Once LBJ came in. But, you know, uh, LBJ, I'm sure, was under a lot of pressure. Um, uh, no one understood. And then, you know, once you go down that rabbit hole, it's hard to pull out. And we've seen it, right? I mean, you, you just, you can't get involved in an engagement with another country and then just say, okay, you know, we made a mistake, so let's just stop. The president's not going to do that. He's looking for an honorable way out. Next thing you know, we go from Johnson to Nixon. And, uh, you know, Nixon had his own issues. And then, and, and, and then next thing you know, we've got uh, the same people with Nixon involved in Watergate who were um, involved with the Bay of Pigs and in other nefarious uh, operations during uh, Eisenhower and Kennedy's years. So right. uh, it's, it's uh, incredible. McCord and uh, yeah. what was it? Uh, well, McCord, Howard Hunt. Howard Hunt, E. Howard Hunt, yeah. But the, the thing about McCord, too, which is incredible, um, um, do you know the story of Frank Olson, the fellow that fell yes. out of Right. But, but retell but, it again. Retell okay, it again. yeah, just in case your listeners don't know. I mean, Frank Olson was uh, uh, a. Um, worked for uh, 
U.S. government, CIA, do mind-altering drug experimentation out of uh, Fort Detrick in Maryland and was involved then at the time at uh, Camp King in post-World War II in, uh, in Germany with, uh, he, with um, Nazi uh, prisoners. And he went over and fa <clears throat> found that the United States uh, military intelligence over there was actually experimenting with these people and mind-altering drugs, LSD. And so, well, he objected to it, wanted to get out. And so they called a meeting near, near Camp Dietrich, a uh, handful of people, and they fed uh, a number of these people, including Frank Olson, LSD without his knowledge. And he, uh, it had a terrible effect on him. Um, um, between anxiety, depression, just suicidal. And uh, so he, he wound up in New York for, there was a, some kind of a meeting convention related to what he was doing. And he wound up getting thrown. He, they, they said he committed suicide and jumped through a 13 story window. I think it's Statler Hotel in New York. But it turned out he was he was thrown out and the, and the CIA eventually paid his, his family uh, um, years later in the 70s. But the interesting thing is, uh, after it was over, and the, 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 he had a roommate who, who was in staying in the hotel room with him, who uh, called um, the whoever he was, he, you know, he, he, whoever he, he answered to at the CIA. Uh, what happened? And the guy who showed up to knock out the door was James McCord, the same guy who was uh, involved Bay of Pigs, uh, involved at Watergate. And it's just an incredible, I mean, how, you know, this, these people, it's too bad that none of them really told us exactly what they were up to. Yeah, it really is. There's a so a whole secret history of those guys because they're everywhere. E. Howard Hunt was in a very important position as the head of the CIA office in Mexico City. That's right. Um, and then he's at Watergate. Like, it's just very strange. Like, this is a high-level CIA operative. Well, there was a uh, and, no. right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, some people think that he was put there to bungle the Watergate entry so that it would lead to Nixon's downfall. Have you heard of that theory? Or do you believe I, that? Theory? I have. I and I, you know, I, I I do. I think we need some more evidence. But when you trace the 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 path, right? I mean, you have Kennedy getting assassinated, who wants to pull out of Vietnam. LBJ comes in, and then LBJ. Um, eventually, either just can't tires of, of 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 all the killings or whatever. He's wants nothing. To, he's starting to change how he feels. And he well, when Robert Kennedy decides he's going to run for president in '68, LBJ drops out. Then Robert Kennedy mysteriously gets assassinated. Then Martin Luther King, who could galvanize the black vote for Robert Kennedy, he got assassinated first. Richard Nixon wins. Then Richard Nixon goes to Russia, goes to China, opens these doors, come pulls out of out of uh, Vietnam, ends that war. He then mysteriously the Watergate break in. These, these professional uh, CIA operatives, like super experienced, super experienced, 30, yeah. 40 years, break into foreign embassies, do all this stuff. Can't even break into the Watergate Hotel without a security guard finding something, right? It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't so sense. then, then, then Nixon's gone. Who steps in? Gerald Ford, who was a, on the a Warren Commissioner, one of the leaders, right? And who was the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover's eyes and ears, 
uh, on the commission who would tell him everything that was going on. And, he, and even though all these guys agreed that none of them would write a book until the um, or publish anything until the Warren Commission report came out, uh, Ford jumped the gun and did it anyway. And then Ford lasts one one term, and then we wind up with um, uh, Ronald Reagan, who kind of puts the, the the country back on that right wing course again. So right. you wonder, you, so you, you know, is it all a coincidence? Maybe, but maybe it's not. Maybe 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 it's by design, and maybe there's this deep state behind the scenes that's pulling some strings and just, you know, making things happen. That's been there probably since Pearl, uh, probably all throughout America. Well, maybe not as much, but definitely post World War II. Yes. And Ford's uh, vice president is Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah, right. And squeak, so-called Squeaky Fromm takes a shot at Ford and misses him by an inch. Right. And it would have made Nelson Rockefeller president. That story, nobody tells that story. She probably, considering all the fake patsies and assassinations, she was probably just there as a cover story, as a patsy. Somebody probably else tried to take a shot at Ford. To put, yeah, yes. to put Nelson Rockefeller in power. So, yeah, I mean, that's my that Rockefeller, Right. The Rockefeller family had a history going back to the, even the 30s, right? They're, they're one of the most powerful families in the country and uh, everything they were involved in internationally. I mean, it, it was, uh, I think, David Rockefeller in the 30s, who's, who he talked about a new world order, right? They, they, they all, going back to that era, talked about a new world order, which was basically, um, uh, what did, uh, um, Henry Luce called it uh, a, 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 not a, a, like a Pax Americana, you know, that we were basically going to control the world. We were going to take, we were going to dictate um, how things were done. Third world countries were going to come under our influence, not the Soviet Union. We were going to basically um, um, wait them out. And uh, next thing you know, we'd be running things. But, you know, greed gets in the way of a lot of things. And I think that's what happened. And, uh, um, but in a lot of ways, we the U.S. won World War II and really were the predominant power. Yes, the Russians had some kind of power, but not like the U.S. The financial power and the people basically lived, you know. So we, the U.S., had really could throw over these grand chessboards. You mentioned David Talbot's book in your book. Yes, it really was a chessboard, just pulling them over. And like you said, you know, you you mentioned in your intro how many of these other people they pulled off. Turkey, Adnan Menderes, somebody tried to kill Charles de Gaulle, Kareem Qasim, they install Hussein, right? Syria, Guatemala, Ecuador, Dominican Republic, Honduras, and Vietnam. I mean, it's that's, on and on. That's, yeah, it just goes on and on. And, the, and then in that the doesn't include Iran, the Mossadegh overthrow. That's right. And, and then oh, that, and then, and then we're winding up with, 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 with Nazi operatives down there helping us out. And people whose names will show up again later on as potential uh, uh, conspirators in the assassination of JFK, and then in Iraq, um, there one of the guys that uh, that they're relying on to, to overthrow the government. It didn't happen. It took a couple of years for it to happen. Was Saddam Hussein? I mean, and then when you, you wonder sometimes why people uh, look at our country around the world, maybe with a, with a jaundiced eye, because as soon as we're done with them. Uh, there's no loyalty. I mean, not that we should have had loyalty to Saddam Hussein, but he, he's history and he's done. And right. uh, But we don't mind getting in bed with the devil when we have to. And at least we haven't. Well, and, the American people don't know their own history. They don't, they're right. not taught this side of history. So Let's that's why, yeah, it's a yeah. shame. But they can go, I mean, we don't dictate our foreign policy. The people don't have anything to say 
about foreign policy, it's either some elite or something like that's making that decision for you. Of course, of course. And I actually interviewed the daughter. Her father was one of the CIA handlers for Saddam Hussein in um, uh, what's the what's the country north of Israel? <laughs> like not Syria. Um, uh, Jordan. Jordan, the one more uh, Beirut. They were in Beirut in uh, Lebanon. So they were in Lebanon shuttling, getting, getting him into power. They were just, they knew he was their guy and they were going to put him into power. And then the CIA overthrows him and and hunts him down in 2002, 2003. So they were done with him. Well, you know, the name of my book is, it did not start with JFK. I think at some point there's going to be, it did not end with JFK either because it's like uh, just a continual, uh, 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 path of it, it, it should upset most Americans. And I think uh, if people know the history, and that's the feedback I'm getting from people who, who have read it said, saying, we weren't taught any of this in school. It's not, it, why, why weren't we? I mean, it, it's, we, we, we can handle the truth. And especially if there's a good reason, but a lot of times there was, there was not a good reason for all of this other than um, a power and uh yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, Vladimir Putin thinks he has a good reason for going into Ukraine now, but I, 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 I would think that most of the Russian people don't agree with it, and uh, it, it's kind of reflective of of what our history has been—that kind of disconnect between the leadership and the people of the country. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Because we were tinkering around in there too. We were tinkering around the Ukraine in 2014, isn't that right? The U.S. Yeah, we've been everywhere, I think, you know, I mean, and, and, and sometimes we almost push buttons and try and instigate, like 1956 is a prime example. Uh, we are, we're promising, and, and Hungary is like, uh, they're on the verge of revolting out of, uh, away from the Soviet Union. They, they're, a, they're a satellite country, and the CIA is kind of in there, and we're basically telling these people, you know, the, their operatives, we've got your back, we've got your back. And they revolt, and we we don't do anything, and it turns out to be a slaughter, and uh, but it served its purpose for what we wanted, uh, which was to uh, demonstrate to the world a lot of third who a lot of third world countries are looking and thinking you know maybe the Russian form of government is or the Soviets are better than the United States. They looked at the, our race relation problems and different things in our country, and they didn't appreciate that, especially countries where the people of color. Uh, predominated and um, so we what we wanted was to just show the world what the what the, the Soviets were really like and had you know tr- tanks marching down the streets of Budapest and just slaughtering innocent people and uh, um, you know so yeah that's and the CIA was behind that I think it was Frank Wisner one of the yeah, original it was it was, it and, was Frank Wisner and he yeah. he cracked he didn't he, he did he had a breakdown due to, I think, because of those people who died. He knew he was responsible for it. Eventually, committed suicide. Right? He he, he did not. In, he Frank Wisner was with OSS in the eastern part of Europe at the end of World War II, and after Yalta, the Soviets had and, and the English and the United States signed agreements of what they we would do and have democratic elections in all of these countries. Well, it didn't happen. So Wisner's over in Eastern Europe, and he's seeing uh, the Soviet armies coming, Red Army coming in, rounding up all uh, people who were opposed to the Soviets in these countries, who wanted democracy, putting them on trains 
and shipping them back to gulags in the Soviet Union. And he he was beside himself with what he saw, and that's how he became such a, 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 a an anti-communist. And then when this happened in Hungary, you're right, that was a bunch of things, but that was kind of like the the last nail in the coffin for him. He just couldn't understand why we were standing by and doing absolutely nothing to help these people. And they, it was never the intent to help them. It was just to create this, the, the, right. the, this image. Right. But they knew they were going to sell them out, betray them to the Russians. They and did. The, it's, that's still the present. The Russians, the reason that they've always had problems with their frontiers, they've been invaded brutally twice. Yes. And so they're always worried about, and that ties into exactly what's happening in Ukraine right now is that they've had those, I mean, the great patriotic war, one eighth of the Russian population was killed. So they have a very sensitive about that. So I, I don't know why the United States is over there. I don't know. I don't know. We have a lot more things to worry about in my opinion. Um, but I think you mentioned in your book too, Wis I think it was Wisner, but all these guys post-World War II came up together and yeah. they had all strange things. Angleton, Colby, Wisner, White. Right. They, they just permeated and I probably uh, E. Howard Hunt. I, I don't know what happened to Hunt in World War II, but they all went they, to, and George Bush, right? George Bush Sr. Right. Well, these people, it was kind of like a natural progression to go from OSS to those private um, intelligence uh, groups that I mentioned to the CIA. And they all were very, very strong anti-communists. And when they came together, they were trained the same way. Angleton, uh, George Hunter White, Wisner, Alan Dulles. I mean, Alan Dulles was, was trying to cre create some kind of a peace treaty with, 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 the, with the Nazi army that was in, in northern Italy. And basically, they, were, they wanted to stop the Red Army from getting, getting to Berlin. And they were willing to just say, look, we'll take care of Hitler. We'll, we'll get rid of Hitler. And just let us be, let us create a democracy or a temporary, not a democracy, but a temporary like military government that'll become a democracy. But FDR had said unconditional surrender. He wasn't going to change that. But all of these people, they, 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 they were trained in, in George Hunter White called this camp in Canada that they, he called it the camp of murder and mayhem. And that's what they were trained in. Lucien Conine, one of the Jedbergs, right? This elite group that, uh, that, 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 that would parachute behind the lines into France and into Eastern Europe. Um, Colby was one. Tracy Barnes was another one from the CIA. Nobody right? knows his name, right? I mean, he's less familiar. But very he's less familiar. Yeah. He, he is a very important person uh, because he became head of the Domestic Contacts Division in the United States in the early 60s. Um, and it was, uh, according to George de Mornscheidt, he was instructed by this, this CIA fellow Moore was under Tracy Barnes to approach Lee Harvey Oswald. And so this Tracy Barnes is a very important, the quiet guys who, you know, who are in the background, even the James Angletons, you don't hear too much about him. The ones who are quiet are the ones that really, I think, dictate policy and call the shots. It's incredible. It really I mean, is. Yeah, you can see that the CIA probably was almost a continuation of the private intelligence ethos. Because once they got the funds from the taxpayer, there was there's barely any really effective oversight. Maybe tell the church committee. I don't know. You're but right. Like, yeah. I mean, they just had the, they had funds to just cause murder and mayhem. I mean, White was part of, part of 
Operation Climax in the Haight Ashbury, drugging people more and drinking yes. like a, a fifth of you, scotch a day, just like impervious right. to no no consequences, like no oversight. Nothing. And it started in, in New York with him. And, and, and it, basically, you have FDI, FBI documents that saying, like, we don't know what this guy's doing. He's, he's like uh, ex-OSS guy. Then he's at CIA. Next thing you know, or excuse me, then he gets lent to CIA. Um, but he, he, he was with the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, gets lent to the CIA from them. Um, and he opening a safe house in New York City and then wound up doing it in, in San Francisco. And basically to um, using prostitutes to lure people up to this safe house, giving them LSD and just trying to see what the effects were. Um, you know, they, what the, they were interested in seeing, could you say, get information out of a person by using LSD. Let's say they're thinking more in terms of war, but they have to practice on somebody. Um, can you send someone to another country and have them programmed to, to, to tell uh, who's going to capture them um, what you want them to say? Can you, uh, with LSD, get, keep them from, from, from spilling the beans of what, what you don't want them to say? Can you program to assassinate somebody? So he was in the middle of all of this, this man. And, uh, and then William Harvey was another one, right? I and mean, he's another name that goes from OSS to CIA, who was head of the assassination, uh, uh, ZR rifle, the whole assassination squad. I mean, he's, he's there with, um, with White, with Angleton, with um, um, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, who was an associate of, 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 of uh, uh, George Hunter White. Um, and these people played for keeps, you know? And, and, and Richard Bissell, there's one mantra the CIA had in the 50s and in the early 60s. It was, the world would have been a better place if someone had killed Adolf Hitler. And of course, that's true. But you don't know who a Hitler is until he becomes a Hitler, right? So, but with that kind of logic, if you feel like there's someone, be it a JFK or somebody else, who you think is, go is going to do irreparable damage to the United States, you can justify assassination or murder or whatever else. And I really think that's, that, that that's a, had a lot to do with, uh, with, with, with killing JFK. They really thought he was a threat, like their view. I think you make that statement. The country was changing. There was more racial equality type things happening. Um, he, JFK is Catholic, Irish, right? Right. These are white, generally white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Uh, so there, that at that time today, those tensions may not be as overt, but at that time, that was significant. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. And the racial component was huge, especially among uh, Southerners. And a lot of these people were Southerners. And you had that, the whole um, a group of Congress of, 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 of Southern white men that, you know, starting in, in the 50s, with was a 57 with um, 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 Little Rock, Arkansas. Right. Um, right. So, uh, in, in, in just in general, about uh, racial equality just starting and, and, and JFK baking. I mean, it, there's a three days in the summer of 1963 um, where you had what I mentioned before the American University speech about normalization of relations with the Soviet Union. Then you had. Um, the standoff at the University of Alabama, where the first African-American uh, students were allowed to attend that, that college. George Wallace 
stood at the entrance and, and said he wasn't going to allow him in. Right, this was a year after James Meredith uh, was, was was allowed into the University of Mississippi. So um, you had that in in in, in happening in Alabama. George Washington, George Wallace stood aside um, that night. Kennedy went on national television to talk about race relations and talk about how you know every American, regardless of who you are, should be entitled to the same opportunities and the same chance. And he rattled off statistics as far as uh, um, the odds on, uh, say, say a, a black child versus a white child going to college, getting a good job, what have you. And then it was, uh, was it the next day uh, or whatever? If I'm walked by a day, it doesn't matter. But that's when Medgar, Ever, Medgar Evers gets shot in the back in his own driveway. Uh, a, a black um, um, a civil rights activist, a peaceful activist, in front, of, basically in front of his own kids and uh, and, uh, and 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 wife. So, um, you know, if there was a point, I think where the die was cast for JFK it was at June 1963. That was three days where it wasn't just the international anti-communist. Is your point of uh, the, the, the the racial turmoil that the country or the upheaval, the, the, the transformation that some people were trying to bring to this country and others were trying to resist. I think it just sealed his fate. Yeah. Sealed his and a lot of other people. There's a lot of people surrounding this whole thing. His lives were ruined or sure. had strange deaths. There were journalists who died. There's just so many suspicious things. It was really the 60s was a it was like watching a serial killing. There were just so many assassinations of important people and yes. cleanups. And it was really uh, a tragedy, I think. Really tragic. It was. I mean, yeah, there were well-known people, obviously, like, like, like Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X. But then there were lesser people, too, that, 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 that you know, that uh, some of them who just knew too much wound up getting killed because they had to be quieted or just... Um, we're in a position just, you know, I mean, Dorothy Kilgallen is one person. There's, you know, there, there, there's, there's a host of others that just, uh, um, Mary, Mary Pinchot Meyer, right? The, the, who's JFK's uh, uh, girlfriend who got murdered the year after JFK was assassinated. I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, it doesn't seem, like I said, it's just, you can, they, they could justify their behavior. Right. And I think you should write that book. What happened after? I think yeah. that would be a good one. Is there anything you'd like to add, Walter? Or anything I missed before we wrap it up? We're at about the sixty-minute mark. No, no, I think I think we're good. It's just that I mean, it, it, it's uh, I think people will enjoy the book. I think it's it, knowing why we got to that point is is, right. is just as important as what happened, or you you really you appreciate or can understand what happened if once you understand why or what preceded it. And I think it's an important aspect of the investigation. And it does cover a lot of what we discussed, too. It brings into play the assassination elements, Ruby, Oswald, and what they were doing. But uh, so, uh, yeah, anyone interested, uh, they can, you know, Amazon is the best place or anywhere where, you know, where books are sold. You could probably get it. And there's a lot more in here. We didn't cover all the LBJ stuff, the deep in the heart of Texas, <laughs> CIA, even more lawlessness and stuff that they got away with. That situation yes. in the third world. It was a very. Uh, there's a lot of conflict post. It's it's surprising, but in the world after even after World War II, the conflict never stopped. So it really just kept going. And this was all the Korea. I mean, there's just a lot more in this book. This is only volume one, so I'd love to have you back yeah. on talk about volume two. That'd be Where's great. The awesome. Where's the best place for people to reach you? Do you have a website? Social media contact information. Yeah, you can reach me 
at my, my website, which is at um, uh, Walter at Herbs.com and Herbsbooks.com is my website. And then there's Walter Herbs Author on Facebook. And those are the best places to reach me. So Walter Herbs Author on Facebook and then Herbs, but H-E-R-B-S-T-Books.com. Right. right. Walter at Herbsbooks.com. If you go to Herbs Books, there'll, there'll be some, uh, 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 an icon you can click on that you can reach me. Gotcha. Cool. And again, title of the book is It Did Not Start With JFK, Volume 1, The Decades of Events That Led to the Assassination of John F. Kennedy. And the author is Walter Herbst. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, William. All right. Stay there. Stay there.